0: about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend is taken from the book of Exodus. And it's a very good example of the kind of biblical story that drives a lot of people today to distraction. Listen to the closing line of the reading. And Joshua mowed down Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, I'll confess to you, it does seem a touch comic to utter, right after that line, the word of the Lord. Remember the story here, is Moses is holding up his arms. As long as the arms are up, Israel does well. And then then these two assistants come and they hold up his arms. And while he's doing that, they succeed. When the arms get tired, etc. So that's the famous story. But, it closes with this rather striking, disturbing line, Israel mows down this entire army. Of course, this is only one of many similar passages that we could indicate. The psalmist, for example, dreams of dashing the heads of his enemy's children against the rock. God, a little later in the Bible, tells Saul to put the band on the same people, on the Amalekites. That means killing every man, woman, child, and animal of theirs. God sends fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Joshua, at God's command, unleashes a ruthless blitzkrieg against the peoples of the Promised Land when Israel invades. Now see, here's the problem and why it drives people crazy. How do we square any of this mayhem with the gentle and compassionate God revealed by Jesus? The Jesus who spoke of loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, blessing those who curse us. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn and give them the other. Resist not evil. I mean, how do we square all this Old Testament mayhem with the God of Jesus? Well, It's first important to emphasize, this is not simply a problem of our time or for our time. Christians have wondered and worried about this problem from the very earliest days. Go way back to the second century. You have Marcion and his followers, the Gnostics and and their adepts. They went so far as to say we should simply jettison the Old Testament as a misleading revelation. The disclosure of a fallen and wicked God. And, you know, to give them their, their due, there's something straightforward about that. It's a way of solving this problem. Like that's that's not the God we're talking about. That's not the true God. So this God giving these terrible commands and you know mow down Amalek with the sword, that's the fallen or false God. However, our greatest biblical commentators and orthodox scholars never went down that road. They never wanted to jettison the Old Testament, but rather to read Old and New Testament together as the revelation of the true God. So what they offered us were strategies of interpretation. see, again, I want you to see, everybody, this is not something that's new to our time. Like, oh, now we've made up a way of reading the Bible to get around these difficulties. No, no, they knew about these difficulties, and they gave us strategies of interpretation. One of the earliest and best of these figures was Origen of Alexandria. I've spoken of him, I think, often before. He's, he's kind of a theological hero of mine. Very early figure, third century figure. His first observation is this. We must read the entire Bible from the standpoint of the last book of the Bible. What does he mean? Well, in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we find an extraordinary vision. The vision of the lamb standing as though slain. It's very striking. A lamb. It's a very weak, very meek and mild animal. right? But more to it, it's a lamb that's been slain. So it's about the, the weakest figure you could imagine. What role does this lamb play in the book of Revelation? Well, a pretty important one. Because he alone, we hear, is able to open the seven seals with which the great scroll of the Bible is sealed. So that's the image. Think of the Bible. They didn't have books in those days. They had scrolls. And the great scroll of the entire Bible is seen as rolled up and sealed by seven seals. Who alone can open it? That means interpret it, make sense of it. The Lamb standing as though slain. In other words, Christ, the Lamb of God, crucified. He is the interpretive key, listen now, for the entire Bible. All the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, should be read in light of that figure. Therefore, what? And this is what Origen told us long ago. If we read any biblical passage in such a way that it encourages violence or indicts God of hatred, we have misread it. Let me say that again. If we read any biblical passage in such a way that it encourages violence or indicts God of hatred, we have misread it. So, What in the world do we do with these troublesome passages? And again, Origen knew all about this problem. Here's one of his first interpretive strategies. He suggested we read these passages as great metaphors or allegories of the spiritual struggle. We actually find a really interesting clue in our reading for this weekend. Because just after our passage ends, you know, it says, mow them down by the sword, it then says, and the Lord God will battle Amalek down through the ages. Now, think for a second. If this is simply referring to an ancient Near Eastern tribe, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Why in the world would God bother fighting this poor people forever? Why would he pursue Amalek down through the ages? However, if we read it symbolically, then it takes on a very powerful resonance. Israel, Origin says, stands for God's purposes at work in the world. So think of all the powers of, of life and love and compassion and creativity. Think of the God now who placed us in a great garden and wanted us to flourish. Israel, which is God's rescue operation in the wake of sin, stands, therefore, for all that God wants the human race to be. It stands for God's purposes in the world. And Amalek, therefore, and in their own ways, Philistia, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome, all the enemies of Israel up and down the ages... Stand for that which is athwart the purpose of God. Think of Amalek again, not as just a, an ancient Near Eastern people, but as symbolically evocative of all those forces. I mean cruelty, I mean hatred, I mean violence, I mean stupidity, I mean corruption. All the things that stand athwart God's purpose what Karl Barth called das Nichtige in his German, the nothingness. Once we have this interpretive strategy in place, the thing opens up, doesn't it? How should such powers be fought? With halfway measures? With mild energy and conviction? Or should they be battled, all the way down? You know, with this in mind, let's consider one of the most notorious of the difficult passages in the Old Testament. You find it in the book of First Book of Samuel. God gave Samuel, or Saul, rather, the command to put the ban on the Amalekites. Mind you, it's the same people. See, it's very interesting, isn't it? The symbolism is running through from Exodus now to First Samuel. He says, put the ban on the Amalekites. That means kill every one of them. And Saul famously doesn't. He kills most of them, but he keeps some of the people and some of the livestock, and their king, for his own purposes. I don't know, maybe he'd hold the king for ransom or something. Who knows what he would do. But he he didn't kill everybody. He He hung on to some. What does Samuel do, the prophet, when he comes and discovers this? Well, he upbraids Saul for his disobedience. And then the Bible says he takes out his sword and he hacked Agag to pieces. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> same, the same uh, uh, tension here. Well, keep origin in mind. Agag, the king of the Amalekites, would stand symbolically for all those things that stand athwart the purpose of God. How do we deal with that? Well, most of us sinners deal with it the way Saul does, by halfway measures. We kind of deal with it, but we tend to keep a little evil for ourselves. Does that sound familiar? Fellow sinners, right? We tend to keep a little bit of evil for ourselves. We keep Agag for our own purposes. Samuel, the prophet of Yahweh, stands for the the great will and purpose of Yahweh. He hacks Agag to pieces. Here's a couple of examples, maybe silly, but they, they help me. Suppose a, a man came to his wife and he said, You know, honey, I, I just love you, and uh, that's why I'm faithful to you 90% of the time. How happy would she be? Or if a let's say I came to Cardinal George, I said, Your Eminence, I'm I'm so happy to be a celibate priest, which is why I'm celibate, you know, ninety-five percent of the time. Or suppose a doctor said to you, uh, great news, you know, this deadly cancer then in your lung. Well, we we got 65% of it. How would you feel? Or if someone said, Well, yeah, the trouble of you know child sex abuse, we got that 75% under control. No, no, there are certain forms of evil that are so profound, they have to be fought all the way down. We have to mow them down with the edge of the sword. We have to hack them to pieces, we gotta put the ban on them. See, that's how origin helped us to see. What's going on here? In the brief time I got left, let me tell you real quickly another strategy of origins. It's more of a literary strategy. If you're reaching for a metaphor for God's power, and you're a, you're a military people like the ancient Israelites, and you're, you're reaching for a metaphor, boy, our God is so powerful that he kills a third of our enemies. How's that strike here? Does that have a ring to it? Our God is so powerful that he, he wipes out, I tell you, he wipes out half of the enemy. You now, see, if you're going to say this metaphorically, you want to express God's sovereignty and power, what will you say? You'll say things like, Yahweh wipes out the enemies of Israel. Now, are we going to obsess over the historicity of that claim? Or are we going to read it the way Origen does, as a symbolic expression of God's great sovereignty and power? Anyway, much more we could say about this, friends, but just some hints as to how to get at these famously difficult passages, especially in the Old Testament. Never read the Bible in such a way that it gives warrant to the claim that God is violent or hateful. If you're reading it that way, you're not reading it in terms of the Lamb standing as though slain. And God bless you. I hope you were
0: moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor, here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and
1: it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at Catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends. Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at Catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.